an awesome, awesome day in history. I, I don't think we quite understand the depth of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on our behalf. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It all went dark for three hours. All kinds of things happened. And yet Jesus still trusted Father God enough to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is trust beyond comprehension to me because if somebody had totally cut me off or feel like you'd been cut off and then to give your your all to him again that's how well he knew Father God he knew Father God so well that he was able to do that we're going to read from Luke 23 verse 46 to 49 And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. In the New Living Translation, it says, Then Jesus shouted, I said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, he breathed his last. Barely somewhere between three and five days before, People were cutting off palm branches and they were throwing them on the road, taking their robes off and putting them on the road. As Jesus came riding in on a donkey and they were proclaiming him king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they all shouted. Barely a few days later, they all cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Kerry said to me this morning, that goes to show, you know, you can't take any notice of the popularity of the crowd. For six hours, our Lord Jesus hung on that cross, suspended between heaven and hell. He had completed the work the Father had sent him to do, Atonement was being made for our sin. Our sin. Down through the ages, down through the eons of time, our sin. Reconciliation between God and man. Jesus had paid the price, finished the work. He said in the upper room, I've glorified you on earth. Talking about this father. I've finished the work you gave me to do. 
I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. And now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. Boy, they're just getting used to Jesus and now he tells them he's going. He's going to die. Now that it was finished, Jesus' work and teachings were passed on to his disciples to f- and he fulfilled God's kingdom purposes and was ready to return to the Father. And so he said, Father, into your hands I commit or I entrust my spirit. Let's have a look at these last words and allow them to really touch our hearts. Before we do that, can we pray? Father, we stand in such awe. I stand in such awe of you that you so loved the world, knew that mankind was going to muck it up, and yet in your amazing love you said, I'm going to send my son. And, and Lord, you, you said, I will go. I will become a man. I will be like them and I will live this life and, and I will die for them so they can be brought back into my love. Oh God, I, I, I pray can we, may we understand the depth of love and commitment that took for us to be reunited back to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Father, as I bring the word, help me, Holy Spirit, take my lips, take my heart, take my thought processes that the people may have understanding and be imparted with gracious words, Lord, that will help them in life. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the words... Of prayer. Jesus praying at all times, seeking his Father's heart. He began his ministry in prayer, continued in prayer. Now he finished in prayer. In every crisis of his life, he turned to the Father in prayer for strength and support. Jesus had exhorted his disciples to pray. He had taught them that prayer was the antidote to temptation. The means of overcoming discouragement. And I, the scriptures are all up there. The method of overcoming hate and forgiving. Now, in the hour of his suffering and separation... He was simply practicing what he taught his disciples to do, he prayed. These words are a quotation from scripture. Jesus cast his mind and drew from this passage being fulfilled. Again, so like Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he fought each temptation by saying, it is written. On entering his public ministry in Nazareth, he quoted scripture. 
And he was speaking from Isaiah, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When his enemies sought to ensnare him, he answered again, have you not read? Referring to scriptures, let's follow his example. Saturating our minds and our spirits with the knowledge of God's word, that when difficulties and trials come, we will be protected against Satan's assault by God's powerful word. What does King David say? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 11. These words are now a contrast with Jesus' life. During his ministry, Christ had been in the hands of men. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. In Gethsemane, his disciples lay sleeping, Jesus said, the son of man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. They had scourged him, beaten him, plucked his beard, spat on him, reviled him. Three hours on the cross, he suffered separation from God of the six hours, three hours there. Now it was over. Into your hands, I commit or entrust to your care my spirit, he said. He said this to his father, never again to be mocked or never again to be abused. At the right hand of God, the Father, Jesus now awaits the fullness of time when he comes again and he is coming again. Amen. Come on. Amen. You know, I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ is coming again. And a lot of people say, well, haven't you got lots of things to do? doesn't make any difference. I would rather see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ than live a few more years on this earth. Well, what's so important down here that we would say, hey, no, 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 not, not yet. Men have dared to judge the Christ, but when he comes, he will judge them. Once they cried, away with him. Then he will say, depart from me. <gasps> oh my goodness. Once he was in their hands, then they will be in his hands. <coughs> These are words of faith and trust. Listen here. Every Jewish mother instructed her children to say this nightly prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Wow. They were just prepared all the time. All the time they were ready. Mary, Jesus' mother, must have put his little hands together and taught Jesus to say these words. Now with his hands open wide for the world, he prays, into your hands I entrust the care of my spirit. The King James Version says, commend, it literally means to deposit, to trust, to care of. That's literally what it means. The son entrusts his spirit into father's hands. 
Paul expresses the same idea. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. So Paul took that and he expanded a little bit further. That's what Jesus did. This is what I'm going to do as well. That makes good sense. Now, Jesus is in the hands of the Father exactly where Jesus told all believers they were. I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. This is Jesus talking. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So not only are we in the hands of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in the Father's hand as well. And nobody is able to pluck us out. We can disengage, but nobody's able to take us. The peace Jesus experienced when he had prayed, Jesus bowed his head, yielded up his spirit. What a picture of peace and tranquility for a beaten, bruised, and dying man. It was peace based on this communion with the Father. Only a short time before, Jesus had cried out of the darkness, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father had turned his back on the Son as he willingly became a sacrificial lamb, a sin offering for the whole world, for the whosoevers. I was one of those. You was one of those. Now the son looked into the face of the father and said, I'm coming home, the work is finished. That word is teleo and it means to discharge a debt, or in other words, the debt is paid. That's why he was able to say it is finished. Jesus is back in fellowship with, with the father. The certainty of the father there is no question of the Father's ability to receive and keep his spirit into the hands of a loving Father means security and providential care. Whatever the experiences of life, God watches over his own. In other words, he's watching over you and me. That's, that's our God. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good. God is at work in all things for good. Can I hear an amen? This is really how it is. Yeah. To them that love God and to them that are called according to his purposes, God is at work in you for good. Can anyone call the cross good? No, but God is always at work for our transformation. He's always at work to make us more like his son. This is the work that he's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a turnaround God. He will transform your worst into his glorious best. Come on, we should all be jumping up and shouting at this stage. 
our very worst into his glorious best. That's, that's, that's what he's doing. He's at work doing that. And sometimes we need to go back 10, 20, 30 years before we got saved. And then people say, yeah, you really have changed. Or you really needed saving. I've had all those things said to me. And it's true, I did. So did you. The cross was a crisis, but not a catastrophe. Not a horrible ending, it was a glorious beginning for all of us. Not a great defeat, but a marvelous victory. This is what he has done for us. Here Jesus experienced what everyone must experience. Hebrews 9.27 says it appointed for men to die once. We're not going to go through it a couple of times unless you've been and you're brought back. It does happen in, well, I, I, I have some difficulty with that. If you're dead, you're dead, but... They say, yeah, yeah, he's dead. And then half an hour later, they say, oh, he's alive. Or they put you in a drawer, you know, ready to be buried. And they start belting the drawer and people nearly just faint. (laughs) We have a divine appointment with death, a story. A Philip of Macedon kept a particular slave whose sole duty was to awaken his master each morning with a solemn warning, remember, Philip, you must die. Fancy keeping a slave like that, I'd get rid of him. <coughs> this slave, by the way, is every man's companion. Of course, it's all appointed for all of us to die. How then shall we face these, this hour? These are the words of Dwight L. Moody towards the end of his life. One day you shall read in the newspaper that Dwight L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? This is what he said before he died. I shall be more alive than I've ever been before. Of course, that's reality. It is. It's just like you're in this room and death is on the other side. You just have to walk through this door. You go through the door and from this life, we are in eternal life. And that's the, ho- that's the hope that we have. That's why I know when I've done funerals and I'm crying as much as most people are, sometimes worse, and I'm supposed to keep it together, but the joy is I know I'm going to see them again if they died in Christ. I couldn't sing at my father's and mother's father and mother's funeral. I just cracked up and cried. But at the end, I knew deep within I'm going to see them again. I'm going to see them again in glory. This was Christ's view of death. He told his disciples, there are many more rooms in my father's house. I would have told you if it, weren't, if it wasn't so. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's it. Jesus was saying that death is simply going into another room into the Father's house. 
going into the Father's presence alive and complete, he spoke as God, as the God of the living. He didn't speak of God as the God and Father of people that were dead. That's why he said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not mere handfuls of dust. They were living persons in the hands of the Father. And that's thousands of years ago. Completeness for the Father. Jesus had completed the Father's will. It was only after that that he would cry, it is finished. That is such a challenge to me. When is going to be my time that I know it's finished, that I have fulfilled what God's called me to do on this earth? Is it going to be in this year? Well, I'm 75. Is it going to be in a few years' time, 10 years' time, 25 years' time? Maybe I'll be standing here or sitting down by then at 100 saying, well, I think it's finished. I don't know. His life was not one of tragic incompleteness. Please, we've got to take some stuff out of the life of Jesus here. He deliberately surrendered with no compulsion. Lord, your will, more than anything else, I want to do your will. What did we hear about when, when Steve, oh no, even before Steve, blank page. It was Neville, was that you? Talked about blank page, whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want to do in my life, God, whatever you want to do with my life, God, whatever. We got it. This is what Jesus said. He deliberately surrendered with no compulsion, but that of love. Augustine said Jesus died because he willed it. When he willed it and as he willed it. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. This is Jesus speaking. Myself, I have power to lay it down. He had completed the Father's will and purpose. Now he could yield his spirit into God's hands. What a peace this indicates. What a contrast. Much of our life is characterized by incompleteness. We hear Joshua saying at his death, there remains much land still to be possessed. And he, was, he's, he led the nation. He led the then church into the promised land. But not our Christ. His work was completed. Oh, to be able to say with Paul, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Lord, here I am. I'm on my way. The pattern that he said, Peter said Christ was leaving an example that we should follow in his steps in 1 Peter 2.21. Now in his hour of death, he set a pattern for us. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think he did it beforehand as well. Into your hands I commit my life. These words are a challenge for us to conclude our lives, having learned to say, Lord our Father, into your hands. Others have. Stephen did when the rocks were raining down on him. Augustine did. Polycarp did. 
Jerome did, Luther did, so did John Huss. The priest jeered at Huss, was led away to be executed falsely, falsely for heresy. But Huss knew differently and kept repeating, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Wow. When we can say this, there is nothing to fear anymore in death. It's, it's, it's over. It really is over. We can say with David, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of a death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Yes. Amen. It, it's not, well, I'm <laughs> come to church on Sunday. Now I'm in his presence. Oh, well, I'm out of his presence. No, no, he's with us always. Always he is with us. And yet we treat him with such, oh, he'll understand if I don't do this or I don't do that. What kind of response is that if we really think about it? Christ turns all our sunsets into dawns. Hallelujah. It was a pattern for life. If Jesus had not lived to do his Father's will in daily life, he would not have entrusted himself into the Father's hands at the end, and so it is with us. If we have denied him in life, we will deny him in death. When we have walked with God in life, we will walk with him in death. I have sat beside people that have been dying and have shared the gospel with them because what they had been taught wasn't correct according to God's word. And when they heard the truth of God's word, the man had a smile on his face and he says, now I'm ready to go. That's the difference between knowing and not knowing, walking with him or occasionally dropping in. There is a difference. The unbeliever won't say, I'll commit my spirit into your hands, will soon realize that to fall into the hands of a righteous and holy God is a fearful thing. Jesus gave his human spirit to the Father, but he entrusted his word, the gospel, to us. Jesus goes to the Father as we are to go into the world. Finally, this is the end of the greatest life ever lived on earth. We heard it in communion this morning. The greatest. There's nothing that compares. The crucifixion is drawing to a finish. What was the effect on those who stood by? The answer was seen in the verses that, that I read at the beginning. The centurion witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and was deeply moved. He confessed Christ as the Son of God. I wish the Bible also said in, and as his Saviour. It doesn't say that. This is what all people ought to do. Confess Christ as the Son of God and as our Saviour. And believe and live the life accordingly. The crowd came together to the site beholding the things which were done they smote their breast 
and returned home in sorrow. Must have had such an impact on their lives. Still they were unmoved and unchanged by it all and continued in sin. They returned to their old way of life as far as we know. The Bible's silent on it. I'm assuming here. But if they did, they were lost. And this is what many in the world do exactly the same. The disciples later understood the meaning and the significance of Jesus' resurrection. This was Friday, but Sunday was coming. Actually, it wasn't Friday. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself said, As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. He could not have died on Friday because Jesus doesn't tell lies. If he said he was going to be in the earth for three days and three nights, that's exactly how long he was in there for. Three days and three nights. It was much earlier. And he actually arose before sunup on Sunday morning. But Sunday's coming. Whether it was Wednesday or Friday, my whole studies that I've done, it's definitely Wednesday. You check it out for yourself. The power of Christ's resurrection, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Then they went throughout the world telling the good news. He's risen. Everything that we believe in and believe on rests in, in, in that. If he didn't rise from the dead, we're still in our sin. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, then they went throughout the world telling the good news. This is what all of us need to do, tell the good news. We love and follow Jesus, amen? amen. Let's prove to him and all around by our light shining as a testimony and by our obedience and dedication in what he's given into our hands. And if you really, oh, I don't know how to preach, tell your testimony. It's powerful. And people say, oh, no, no, his is, but mine's not. Every testimony is powerful. And people cannot disprove your testimony. They might try to disprove your theology, but your testimony is powerful. A good testimony is better than a good theology sometimes. Sometimes we need theology. Have an expectancy that Romans 8, 11, in this, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, your mortal body, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Herein is the promise. And our hope of being made new, we too will experience our bodily resurrection when Jesus returns for us. Let's meditate on that and declare the good news of Easter. Can we all stand, please?
Father, we are so, so grateful. Lord, I say that so many times and how, how many times do I need to say it? I just can't stop saying it because I am so grateful. <coughs> grateful that you loved me so much. Grateful that you loved each individual here so much that you was willing to give your son to die for the sins of the world. Father, I pray that you would impress on everybody's heart and mind, Lord, the knowledge that God the Father loves them so much that he was willing to give his son for them. Not just an airy-fairy great cloud of witnesses, for them, for them. Let's bring it home for God so loved Johnny or, or George or Fred or individually. He loved us so much that he gave his son. And Lord, for that we will praise you forever. For that I will serve you forever all the days of my life. Lord, because you saved me. Father, may people be able to say that right across the auditorium, I will serve him because he saved me. Father, I pray that everybody, as they leave this place, Lord, to have some fellowship outside, as they drive on the road, Father, I pray for travelling mercies. I pray, O oh God, that they'll be careful that they won't become a statistic. Father, there's so many people that lose their loved ones at these holiday times, Father, let that not be said about us. Lord, may we be wise in the way that we treat our car, our motorbike, our push bike, whatever we, whatever we do. And Father, keep us safe for the celebration that's coming on Sunday. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.